2: It's a podcast. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. It's a
1: podcast. It's
0: podcast. Welcome back to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host. Ralph Lifshitz, we're here, Lance and I, for another week of minor league baseball knowledge, jewels, gems, we're going to be dropping on everybody here. We tried to go live once again on Periscope, couldn't quite get it working, I'm not going to jerry-rig it like I did last week.
1: So we're just going to go into it, Lance, let's talk a little minor league baseball. What's going on with you? Hey man, I'm I'm doing well. Yeah, so we were having problems with Periscope, and then I got a new laptop, so we'll be able to do like three-hour podcasts if we want, instead of having to cut it at that that right-on mark that we're used to cutting it right at that hour 30, I think, is oh. where we block it off. So three that's, hours talking, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the I mean, anthology that's an advancement.
0: That's exactly <laughs> what humankind needs is three-hour podcasts from the two of us.
1: <laughs> I think it is, honestly. I think it would make the whole world better. but <laughs>
0: Potentially. Potentially. It would be like a, a whole week's worth of listening. Like you could drive from like Boston to New York City and <laughs> listen to one of our podcasts continuously from end to end. That actually would be kind of a feat. It would be like an actual radio show, I suppose, because most of those are three or four hours every day. So Good here point. I am knocking it, but, but the concept is uh, is generally familiar to us. So there you go. But yeah. uh, do you want to announce your big news, by the way? You just told me off air. You oh, the big I'm,
1: I'm moving to Chicago. Yeah, I don't, I don't announce too many things, but uh, I'm moving to Chicago. Yeah, going back to school for some sports media stuff. So, uh, you know, I'm going to try to make this a little career, and I'm I'm, I'm excited, but – the, the podcast will not rest. I will be doing the podcast. We'll just be different time zones. There's actually some perks with this. The time zone thing is going to be interesting. I, we'll be able to figure out. It. It's an hour difference. And the other sure. interesting thing is I get a look at some Midwest League ball. I get a look at some other of the Central America ball. Central North America, excuse me, ball that's the going Central on. Central American ball. Central We're in Honduras, America. apparently. <laughs> I'm actually to Chicago, Chicago, Honduras. Honduras. <laughs> different, yeah, because it's, it's easy mixed up there. But, uh but no, it's gonna be fun. So we'll have uh we'll have a Midwest affiliated me, and then we'll have Ralph your stand on the East Coast. So you'll be able to hit all the when Juan Soto comes and it syncs up well. I'll be moving in June, and we were just talking back and forth about some games we want to hit next week in Hartford early next week. I think we're both gonna go see Vlad and Bo again, which seems to be a just a perpetual thing that we have to do every time they're within yeah. like they, every time they b- Come in like a an hour distance of us. We just immediately flock to them. They, I'm surprised they don't have restraining orders, honestly. But uh, <laughs> doing that, and then Juan Soto is going to come in end of the month. He just got promoted to Double A Harrisburg, I believe. I've actually never seen Harrisburg, and all the time I've watched um, Eastern League ball, Ralph. So I think that's the really? one team I haven't seen. So uh, yeah, it's going to be great.
0: Huh. Yeah, I saw a lot of them last year when when Soto was in Harrisburg.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, there's certain guys coming up. Fetty, a few years ago, was in Harrisburg. He was sort of worth watching. So yeah, I haven't watched a lot of them this year, though. I can't I, I can't say I've watched almost actually any of them this year myself. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, and I might have watched a little bit the other day. It was great on Wednesday because there was a, a, a plethora of games that came on at 1030. I kind of like these 1030 start oh. times. I remember, I was going to try to make it to Hartford, but there were some things that came up at work, oh, and uh, that was not a possibility. Otherwise, I would have I would have snuck there and uh, taken in the, the Binghamton game. But the thing was, Rogers didn't play in that game, and neither did uh, Timmy Tebow. So I wouldn't have gotten any fresh looks on Jeez. Timmy Tebow. I couldn't get told you how uh, how he was looking. Though no, the numbers actually aren't as bad for Tim Tebow as uh, I think we'd all like to make them out to be. Which is he's just not terrifying. hitting like below
1: two hundred. <laughs> What is he two
0: one? <laughs> two maybe it's
1: 240, 240. Oh, That's not bad. I mean, I've seen worse. Two uh, forty,
0: his uh, his on base percentage might be like in the low threes with like a, a seven something. So yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it could be worse. It could be much, much worse. But I, I thought it would be funny to at least see him and say that I saw Tim Tebow in the minor leagues. Obviously, I wanted to see Peter Alonso there, yes. get some more looks on Rodgers as well, but couldn't do that. Uh, do plan on doing that. I know at the end of the month, as you said, Harrisburg is in Hartford, man, and that's going to be a lot of fun to get some some Juan Soto looks. Hopefully, um, hopefully he's not promoted by that. I mean, at the rate he was promoted out of uh, out of of High A with fifteen games or whatever it was, um, there's a solid chance he may not make it that long. He might be in the major leagues by the time we uh, we, we were supposed to go see him. So uh, maybe we uh, should hold off the, on buying those tickets.
1: Yeah, we could wait a little bit. I'm not sure. I mean, I we were. So I don't know if we're going to actually do this I'm on air. i kidding, Oh, you're kidding, okay. <laughs> but I feel like guys stick around double A for a little bit, and this goes back to kind of a conversation that I know you've sure. had on Twitter in the last week, and I've kind of been involved in a little bit just personally with you, is just projecting when Vlad Guerrero Jr. gets called up, if at all, wow. this year. And this is a big thing between us, because I think we have a, a good disagreement in terms of I, I, in my heart, want him to be called up probably within the next 24 hours, but uh. rationally, when I think about it, it's just I don't think that they're going to push him forward. And I think that it's going to be more like a September call-up. Even with how well he's playing, even with all the national recognition he's getting on MLB Network, they were up in New Hampshire and he hit that ball oppo off a tee out of the park, which is just a stupid, stupid thing. It's just that's just bat speed, unbelievably um, showcased, I would say. And but you, Ralph, have the other perspective. You think that there's a chance he gets called up relatively soon, in, in say maybe the next month or so, next month or two, right?
0: Yeah, and they were they were playing Russell Martin at third base last night. I think there was definitely something wrong with Josh Donaldson's sh- the shoulder. This is his last year. Mm. I think there's more of a clamor. And if you talk to folks uh, that follow the Blue Jays, they'll say this as well. You know, people that are in that market, there there is sort of a push to try to win or at least chase some winning in Donaldson's last year. He obviously has this injury now. I don't know if it's going to end up pushing him to more of like a DH role. And then what happens with Kendrick Morales? Well, like, Who really cares about Kendrick Morales, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> and... Uh, and, and, I mean, they have some interchangeable guys, though, in that that infield as well. Like, uh, Solarte can play over there. Um, you know, uh, I believe Gurriel has played some third base as well, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. I actually think, like, when he when he uh, defected here, he was technically a third baseman. Um, but I might be off on that one. But, but either way, I think that there is, you know, some opportunity there for Vlad to come up and play. I know that, you know, third base defense isn't great but he's got a good arm and I think it it could play a lot more than Donaldson's is right now, or, you know, having to roll Russell Martin out there as an everyday third baseman. um, And he gives you a little bit of pop and they're not a team that's totally out of contention. It's not like, um, as I said last night on the baseball show, I don't think we need to apply that sort of Tampa Bay logic to every single team. This is the fourth biggest media uh, or fourth biggest city in North America. Toronto is a massive city. It's a massive media market. And even on top of that is you sort of have the expectations and attention of an entire country in a lot of ways. And there's some pride involved with that. And I think that that organization's still going to try to chase it. And if he's going to be the guy next year, when Donaldson does move on, which it seems like that's kind of a foregone conclusion, why not have him get some major league time and and have him be ready uh, if that's the case and chasing, you know, filling up the stadium, selling, selling tickets, selling merchandise, potentially getting, you know, a wild card game or maybe getting, you know, getting into the playoffs and, and getting a, you know, a series in the first round that makes teams money. And I also think that there's, you know, some goodwill with a player as well. I know somebody that sort of brought this up too. you know, just with the organization. Um, don't forget. I think Vlad Guerrero's last team, if I'm not mistaken, was Toronto. There's sort of uh, a connection between the Guerrero's and Canadian baseball uh, that, you know, he was obviously born in Canada. I just think there's a lot more going on to this story when you dig into it. And now maybe it's an angle and maybe I'm selling a narrative. I, I, You can spin that and you know what, that's totally fine. But when there's this much stuff sort of pushing something, I think where there's smoke, there's fire. Now I've made these sort of predictions the last few years and been right in terms of gut calls on on Devers being up before August 1st last year. And he was, Mm -hmm. and then, and then Andrew Benintendi being more than the September call up the previous year. And he actually would have surpassed his, uh, his, his uh, rookie limits um, in 2016 at the end of the season, had he not gotten hurt. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily remember that. Um, But I think that when there is that opportunity to make a playoff push and you are a competitive team and there's some of the other stuff involved and it's a bigger market, there's less concern with that extra year of arbitration because I feel like they're gonna have seven years to win with this guy. What's best for this guy, you know, what's best for the fan base in, in you know, and just their trust in us as an organization. I just think there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on there when they're under that spotlight. Like it's it, it's not the same when you're in Tampa Bay, dude. You can hold Brett Honeywell down for like three or four years. Like you know, like Jake <laughs> ba- noticed, yeah. Jake Jake Bowers and other organizations would have at least gotten a cup of coffee. I mean, the Yankees aren't aren't shy really about holding guys down if they think they're ready. I mean, I think the big the big thing is Chance Adams really wasn't as good as he had flashed last year, and maybe that's why he didn't get the starts. But other than that, they've been pretty good about bringing up hitters. When they've had an opportunity, I think Labor probably would have, you know, surpassed his rookie limits last year had he not sustained the injury. So, you know, Cody Bellinger last year, nobody thought Cody Bellinger would be up until August, you know, September, and then he's up at the end of April. So, I just don't think we can measure these things. And the other thing is, he's so advanced. I watched Acuna, you know, a few days after watching him, and in terms of an awareness and an approach, and just from a pure hitting standpoint, and you take away all the other tools and just boil it down to, like, just putting the bat on the ball, he's the best guy I've seen, you know? And it's it's not close. I mean, I feel like when we go and we watch him against other double-A players, he's the best player by a mile. And there's other good prospects in those teams, you know? Yeah. We saw Brendan Rodgers on that team. Sam, Sam Hilliard is a good hitter. You know, uh, Lourdes Guriel is in the major leagues yeah. right now. And... <laughs> This guy was better. He's better than Bo Bichette, as good as we think Bo Bichette is. He's way more impressive, you know? Um, And I think that there's just an air and an attitude with this kid that I don't think there's any reason for them to think he's going to be, you know, overwhelmed by the spotlight. We've already seen a homer off of Jack Flaherty in that, you know, that exhibition game before the first day of the season. There's just so much with this story to sink your teeth into. And I know that everyone wants to sort of look at it and say, Service time, service time, service time. I just don't know if that's necessarily a concern for Toronto the way other people think it is. Um, and then I think the other the other part of it too is everyone's kind of like, well, we had Acuna, he came up. Now we need the next guy to talk <laughs> about. Well, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But if if Vlads called up tomorrow, and you know, Eloy's my number one now. I don't think Eloy Jimenez is coming up like before like mid July at the earliest. And it's probably, that's probably more of a September call up because Chicago literally has zero reason to call up Eloy. Yeah.
1: That's more of a service you time know? concern there. Cause you yeah, know, that on
0: that's clear cut to me. And I don't think that Vlad jr is clear cut because of who he is. And the other part of it is he doesn't have to buy his mama a house, right? Like there's not, there's not any angle to that with it either. That, I don't know if you know he would agree to a larger contract later on, you know, to stay with the organization long term and be the franchise guy, you know, um I don't know. I mean, obviously, his father took the money and went to Los Angeles, but it was different because Montreal had you know obviously yeah you know was ceasing to exist at that point. but
1: no, it's a, it's an interesting scenario. I, I think that I think that we have a, a a unique opportunity here where we have possibly two generational talents. That will emerge into the major leagues in a matter of if, if say, Vlad gets called up relatively soon in the next two months. Well, I mean, like, this is insane. We had, like, Bellinger last year who's obviously kind of gone through a bit of a slump. But I think that all hitters go through that. I think that's something that we honestly underrate a lot of the time is just that, like, sophomore slump's a real thing. It's just that we term it sophomore sure. slump. What it really is is just the league adjusting back to the hitter. Happened with Aaron Judge last year. Happens with every hitter. They pick out the holes and they go, look at his holes. Here we go. Let's attack him. Let's see if he can adjust back. And that's one of the things. Like, Judge adjusted back. Mike Trout, probably one of the most famous cases of adjusting back to high fastballs and elevation of fastballs. And it's interesting. I I see your perspective. I think that of all the guys I've seen where service time is obviously a a matter in this situation, it may be the biggest exception. Like, Vlad may be the biggest exception here in terms of everything going on around him as a whole possibly overshadowing the service time scenario. I still think I still land on the side that I think service time reigns King and what they want to do long-term in terms of an investment as he is presently. I think that they just wait. I think they wait and they capitalize on it. The thing that I would hate to see though, Ralph, I'm thinking of this now is we saw Willie Calhoun for a little bit last year and mm. that's obviously delaying his push-up now. I think that the day he, sh- he... I assume he'll be up very soon, if I had to guess, just based on, I believe, his service clock. I think that it's right around the next couple of days. This is, I'm re- recording this on May 10th. I think it was, like, May 12th or 11th that I saw as, like, the date in terms of where they'd gain that extra year of service time. I would hate it if Vlad Jr. comes up late this year and then they do the same thing. They Willie Calhoun him and then push him back down. It's like, at that point, like, i that's just annoying. That's a point where you'd anger the fan base, where the other way around is, like, you could bring him up now and just admit, like, hey, you know what? We're tossing year year's service time, and we're going to just – we're going to – it's whatever. We're going to have to deal with it. But the worst would be, like, they call him up. They're like, hey, here's a cup of coffee, and we see all his exit Velo data. He's hard-hit data. He's mashing everyone. And then, like, next thing you know, next year, it's like, well, he needs more development in AAA now. And it's like, well, come on. Like,
0: exactly, pick
1: your poison. So I think that there's kind of, like, polar opposite to this argument. I still think he comes up if anything late September, and then they kind of just roll them right over into Donaldson's spot for 2019. But you're obviously on the other side. It's an, it's a fun debate. It's an interesting one because I want to see him really bad. Like, I don't know. I'm self, I'm self, uh, a little bit self-fulfilling here in terms of like, I'd love to see him stay in New Hampshire for the next months So we can see him more and stuff, but, uh, but I, I mean, at the same time, like he's this only going to stay for like three weeks for you, Lance. I mean, I know. I know. <laughs> stay down, you know, Toronto, like stay down for uh, stay down until June 1st. There we go. <laughs> no, it's unbelievable. But uh, that kind of precludes what we're going to talk about later in the show, Ralph, which is we're going to go through kind of a rundown of the top 25. We kind of redid our top 25s. A little bit last minute, I would say on my end, I think that we were both kind of talking back and forth in terms of some of the guys we were pushing around lists. We're not really sure. I don't know how comfortable we are. I think it'd be fun to just kind of talk through them and see, like, where we disagree on certain players because yeah. I think there is some disagreement. Yeah. This but
0: This this is by no means a uh, official, like, update to my top 100, but in some ways I guess it is. Yeah, I think uh, it's a, it's a, it's a gut check as to where we're at with things. And by by the way, we just concluded the Vlad Guerrero update of the week. I feel yes. like, I feel like <laughs> that's, that's technically like a segment on the show at this point. It's like <laughs> we're going to do a weekly update as to what Vlad Guerrero is up to. You know, Vlad Guerrero wakes up, he brushes his teeth. He hits a homer <laughs> off of a, a T to the opposite field, says something witty in Spanish comes into the game, hits two homers, bounces one off the fourth window of a of a of a hotel in center field. Oh, I love it.
1: I love it. But we should start Ralph with with we should. F- Five by five. Five the by
0: five, five, five here. Five by five.
1: Let's do it. <laughs> all right, let's do it. So you guys, as usual we kinda just jump around MLB, MLB and, and the Manor Leagues and see what's going on with some guys. There. I think we each kind of have like different themes every week. I know sometimes we like mix in some of the deeper guys. For me this week I picked guys who are all in my preseason top fifty. So I guess we'll start off with Fernando Tatis, Ralph. So, Actually, it was pretty funny. I remember mentioning to you a while ago, I was I was digging through some video, and I thought I saw an adjustment for him this year, and I realized that it's kind of just a little bit of a tick he does with his front leg in terms of how high he's bringing up that leg kick that he alters. I wonder if he kind of alters it like Juan Soto does and like Bo does with two with two strikes and kind of consolidates it a little bit. It makes it a little bit easier to get to the ball, put the bat on the ball, limit some of the strikeouts. But at the same time, I don't know how big of an in uh, asset that is for him specifically because he has a 30% strikeout rate right now that he's maintaining in San Antonio double-a of the Padres. Um, it was a slow start for him. In the month of May, he's 324 with three home runs, four doubles, but he's also still kicking at the 30% clip. But prior to that, his season line is actually around like 200. He's still hitting around, I think like 210 ish. So that kind of tells you how bad he was for the month of April. And now he's kind of yeah. getting it going in the, in the month of May. And in terms of just projecting these guys out, I think that the most interesting thing with a lot of the guys that were like, when I make a list and I put a guy in the top 10, when I see a slump, I expect him to come out of that slump. That's why you have a guy in that upper echelon of prospects. Be sure, exactly. You, you have to expect the player to readjust. And that's why I like really hate bringing guys out of my top 10. Like, sure, it's an arbitrary number, or you could kind of tier it up however you want. But with Tatis, I really like the fact that he's starting to adjust back in May. And I know it's early, and I know it's double-A. The tie to double-A jump is something that people often term as the hardest thing to do. He's super, super interesting as a prospect. I want to pass it back to you, Ralph, on Tatis before you go number one on your 5x5 five five guy, but do you think their strikeouts persist as a concern for him longer term?
0: Um, yeah, I do. I think that that's the biggest concern with Tatis at this point is that he's going to be um, susceptible to a lot of swing in this. And I think at minimum we're looking at a 25%. Uh, K rate guy and early in his career, it's probably going to be more like 30. You know, we just, we hope, we hope he goes the Chris Bryant direction in terms of the K rate, you know, as opposed to going the Miguel Sano direction in terms of K or maybe Mm -hmm. even, you know, Gallo or somebody like that. Um, But he is a transcendent talent, you know, the all around ability, the athleticism. um, And, you know, he does have, you know, excellent approach and he does make good contact because of that bat path he's going to put a lot of balls in the air. He's going to put a lot of balls over the fence. It's a beautiful. Uh, stroke. It really is. And I think, you know, the, the other thing with Tatis is he's a slow starter. Now it's now been proven two seasons year over year. He started almost identically in the month of April and then sort of started to turn it on uh, maybe at the end of the month and then started uh, toward the beginning of, of may. So, you know, maybe this is just who Tatis is, you know, maybe he's like the Corey Kluber of, 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 shortstop power-hitting prospects is he's just not going to be good in April and uh, turn it on in May, you know? Just don't have him on the same team as Kluber.
1: (laughs) I think that's a good point. And I also want to mention very briefly on Tatis before I kick it back to you, Ralph, that he's only one for one, I think, on stolen bases right now, whereas last year he was uh, right around – I think he had 29 bags last year. just going off the top of my head. I remember looking at his Fangraphs page the other day. But that's I don't know if that's a concern. Maybe it's just a matter of him more being like a – excuse me, like an 8 to 12-ish kind of stolen base guy as opposed to like 20-bag speed, which can limit his value a little bit, but you're more so there for the whole package of Tatis and what he could do and the impact that yes. he can be than you are, I think, for the five tools, potentially. I think he could be non-zero in the speed department, which is good. That's what you want. Like, Vlad Jr. is going to be a zero in the speed department. And we, <laughs> we actually did see him try to steal a base, which was hilarious up in New Hampshire. Yeah, it was. I don't expect to see that too, too much. But, but Tatis, I think the calling card for Tatis for a while was having all those tools at short. And maybe the speed isn't that big of a deal. Maybe maybe it's another thing, too. Like you're saying, he's a slow starter. Maybe it's a matter of him just getting into into the flow of things. And then in the month of May, he'll steal three, four bags, and then they'll kind of progress. Maybe he's just actually all around slow in April as opposed to just being slow possibly with the bat. I guess we'll see. But I like this adjustment in May early. Ralph, who's your number one? I'm going to go stay in the uh,
0: San Diego organization, and I'm going to go with the big masher of the last week, the guy that's putting up the biggest numbers. He was in my minor league write-up on Sunday. and I think uh, my friend Paul the Martin, uh, follow him on Twitter, by the way, if you don't. Uh, he actually, if I'm not mistaken, included him as prospect of the week or was one of maybe the AAA prospect of the week over on Prospects 1500. What Fran Mill Reyes has done over the last uh, week uh, or so, or actually over a five-game stretch last week. Well, he hit eight homers uh, in five games. That was from Wednesday to Sunday consecutively at a couple, uh, maybe uh, two or three, I think it was three multiple home run games consecutively, and then he homered on Saturday and homered on Sunday. But eight homers in five games on the season, he's hitting really well, even beyond that. So that's than 344, 430, 730, 13 homers, 36 RBIs. That's in 33 games. Uh, He's walking a ton. Uh, Take a look at the guy. I mean, he's really big. 6'5", 240, strong-bodied, right-handed power bat. And I have to say, this is going to be pretty crazy in terms of what the comp is from a swing perspective. I don't know if you've watched any of him, Lance. He looks like a right-handed David Ortiz. Really noisy hands. Really long swing, long stride with his front leg. He really uses that full six-five frame, sort of gets into all of it. Um, and he has really good pitch recognition skills, which is similar to Ortiz, uh, that he sort of sits back and waits for his pitch. So I, I know that uh, that is that is heady company to say David Ortiz, but I watched more David Ortiz than just about probably any player in my lifetime as a Red Sox fan over the last, like, 15 years. Um, I, I don't think I throw that around a lot, but I, I, I don't know if you've taken a look at Fran Mill or not, but seriously, like he has some very Ortiz-like qualities to, to his, his stroke.
1: I see what you're saying here. I just pulled up some video on YouTube here. Um, yeah, the hand he's got a little bit of like the hand pump going. It's yep. interesting. It's interesting to kind of go the lefty back to the righty comp. I don't know what I've seen his swing. You obviously have seen Ortiz much more than me. He's got the body of Ortiz and he's got the hands of Ortiz, I would say, in terms of that kind of little like over-the-shoulder kind of bat bounce to some extent and mm. it works it seems to be working for him as you said he's got he had a 9 game stretch where he had multi a multi-hit game and he had 3 2 home run games in a row and mm. then another two individual home run games after that so he went i believe 5 games in a row and he, as you yeah, said there's five with eight home homers runs. it's just <laughs> insane that's just mashing at an unbelievable level i can't imagine It looks like he was um he's playing Arizona in Colorado I was was interested to see if it was the same team in like a four game series where he just hit a bunch of home runs and they probably got so tired of him but uh <laughs> looks like he split it up he was he was merciful in turn in his pursuit of, <laughs> of, of the home run king title but I wouldn't be shocked to see him up possibly at the major league level sometime soon like they have to yeah. pay attention to something like this right he podgers? plays
0: the he plays the outfield. I mean, he's a little bit more athletic than Ortiz is. He's not as he's not as big-bodied. I think, especially like early on, he's more of like you know a strong big guy. Um, yeah, I, I think his arm is actually relatively strong as well. I don't know. I mean, they're they're streaming or oh, streaming. They're platooning. <laughs> they're platooning uh, Travis Jankowski and Max uh, uh, or Matt uh, Scherzer or Scherzer Caesar. <laughs> Caesar. Whatever it is. Yeah.
1: The most confusing name ever.
0: Oh, uh, it's so confusing. Um, and I haven't watched enough Cubs games while in his like cup of coffee there like four years ago to remember how his name was said. Uh so uh Matt uh Caesar, is that how he said
1: it? Is? I think it's Caesar, yeah. It's spelled really Caesar. weird, but it's literally Caesar, from what I understand. All I right, could be wrong. So,
0: so Caesar and Janikowski, and uh that sounds like a uh, a Polish roll up salad. Um <laughs> yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to be gray there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I like maybe he gets a shot, but you got like Renfro, uh, you know, Will Myers is going to be back at some point. Like, I just, I don't know. If I, where does he fit in? You know, I, in and that's the, a problem. The, yeah. That's what the problem is. Uh, and I hope that he's not a quad a guy, but he's 22 and he's, he's putting up fabulous numbers you know, and he walks a ton in, you know, in addition to the power. So um, he's got the whole OPS thing going for him. He seems like a DH. He seems like he's going to end up like in a hitter's park as a DH. And, 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 you know, maybe, maybe he, uh, maybe he finds the David Ortiz career with his, his long stroke. I'm telling you, it's that, it's that big, big, like swing and just like over his, you know, over his shoulder, the bat path is similar and he lets go of it, you know? This isn't a two handed follow through. It's a big one handed follow through at the end, just like Ortiz's was.
1: Absolutely you know? no, I agree with you. I just hope he's not the next like Jabari Blash in terms of like, oh my God, look at all this power. And Then he gets to the major league level. And he you're doesn't like, strike Ew. out as much Th- as Blash. That's, that's the key though. Like you're yeah. saying that he's 20 percent strikeout rate, which is he yeah. went up to AAA and it's 4 percent less than his AA stint last year that he had, which is like 100. Actually, you know, this... he was almost all season last year in AA. So, and that's why I see Ortiz
0: a little bit just from the approach, like because he kind of leans in on the box, and there, there were a couple of like it's like a 15 minute video of him on on 2080. Uh, you know, baseball census. And uh, (laughs) I saw a ton of pitches where like, he was getting like, you know, brushed off the plate and kind of like ducking back all dramatically. The way Ortiz would, I don't know. (laughs) There was just a ton of similarities. Like you said, he kind of had that hand pump and and everything else going for him. So he's my number one of the week. And I think uh, justifiable. I think my theme this week is guys that are hot. uh, thus far
1: hot guys. (laughs) (laughs) Who's your number two? My number two is Royce Lewis, who's an individual I think we both have moved up significantly on our top 25-ish list that we're going to talk about a little bit later here. Um, The biggest thing for Lewis is that he cut his K-rate down from 20% to 11%. um, Same level as last year, I believe he's out in Cedar Rapids, and that is super, super impressive for me. I love that in terms of a high school bat from last year who made that adjustment that quick in the offseason. I don't know what he did in in the offseason, what his regiment was, but... Stuff like this, like K-Rate, I think, stabilizes relatively quick, actually, in terms of, I think Fangraphs is a really cool tool you can use to kind of look at um, stabilization points of of statistics specifically. And I believe K-Rate is one of the ones that kind of kicks up a little bit sooner. I still think it's probably too small of a sample to assume that he's literally cut his K-Rate in half. And it is, again, repeating a level. But just the advanced approach he's shown, he's 10 for 11 also in stolen bases this year. I just—it seems like he's almost carbon copied the prior year, but he's jumped up that OBP and he's, he's stealing at an unbelievable rate. Interesting thing with Royce Lewis when you look at his swing—I'm interested really to see how that swing plays up at higher levels. He's got a lot of movement in it. He's got a really interesting kind of like hip load in terms of how far he gets back into his hip. He almost like puts his weight like back over his back knee, which is really weird. It's—it's own—it it's, works well, but he's got like a double a double movement of his bat that I think. Uh, tip of his barrel, you often talk about like how quickly you get the tip of your barrel into the zone and his is a little bit lengthy in terms of what he does with it, he kind of p- pops it twice off his shoulder and then he throws his hips and gets his body going, which I think they're probably going to smooth out, just because it is a little bit long and it's a lot of movement, but I just, at the same time, like his pitch recognition to me must be absolutely unbelievable if he's able to do this with his swing and have that kind of length, but post an 11% strikeout rate and not have that as an issue. Because you like, you comp you can almost comp him to a guy like Franchi Cordero, who has a lot of hand movement, a a big leg kick, relatively similar to Royce Lewis, but Franchi. Had made some adjustments this year, but if you look at the old French, he was like a 30% strikeout guy. That was probably more of a pitch recognition thing, and he had holes. But Royce Lewis seems to have unbelievable play coverage. I'm a big fan of Royce Lewis. I really like what he's doing. I expect a promotion at some point. I believe A for the Twins is Chattanooga. Um, I want to see him at higher levels. I want to see if this is like... I don't mean to, I don't want to call him the next Acuna at all, but I want to see if it's Acuna like in terms of where he progresses through levels and just shows unbelievable skills and how he develops and almost gets a little bit better. I'd almost want to see him just continue at the same rate year to year, and I'd, I'd still be impressed. I'm, I really like Royce Lewis. I got to actually check to see where I have him in my top 25, but uh, I think we're both kind of in that top tip 15 window with him right now, Ralph. We're buying into a yep. high school bat, which is something that I don't think we do too, too much. Um, so I'm a little bit nervous in terms of just how the development goes, but (laughs) I I really like Royce Lewis a lot.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm buying more and more into like the youth and projection. I'm, I'm becoming one of these, uh, the industry's wearing me down and becoming one of these, these scouty types that gets all crazy about tools. You know, before you know, I'm going to have like a catcher in the top 40 consistently (laughs) for like six, seven years. Um, but anyway, (laughs) I'm going to go on to my number two, I'm going to stay with the theme of shortstops. We've had three of the first four players we've discussed are shortstops. This one being Carter Kaibum, who really is going to be a third baseman. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll call him, we're going to call him a shortstop for now. He's really breaking out of an early season slump over the last week. He has hits in six consecutive games, uh, dating back uh, dating to Wednesday before recording this. I did not check the box score tonight, so I don't know if he made it number seven or not. But over that six-game window, he's now slashing 409, 552, 6.36, he's got a homer, seven walks to three Ks. And I'll say despite the struggles on the year, uh, if you look at his batting average on the slash line, it is really, really ugly, not that all that far off from Tatis. He is still walking in a 14.8% clip on the season, which I think is the first or second best, best walk rate uh, in the Sally League. Now, he was a teammate of Juan Soto's. Kai Boom is a guy that I think, you know, that approach, the power, if he's going to stay on 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 the left side of the infield, it's going to be really important uh, that he continues to mash and get on base because that will play at the hot corner if he ends up getting moved over to third base. Um, I like I like Kai Boom swing. I know we've talked about this a little bit. You don't have to talk about him forever because we have a lot of players that we're going to end up talking about tonight. Anything that you want, you've noticed about Kai Boom or anything you want to mention on Kai I know I think we had a little bit of a disagreement in terms of uh, you know ultimately what we what we projected him out to be.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the disagreement was actually on position. I think that there's some buzz okay. that he can actually stick at short. And if he sticks at All short, right. you get a plus back. I think the comp I brought up was like almost a Paul DeYoung in terms of power. But okay. uh, I won't go too deep into it. I just pulled up the Potomac Nationals box score for tonight's game, Thursday. And Kai Boom is uh, three for four, three runs, a home run, and five RBIs. So, uh, boom. Kai Boom. Kai Boom. <laughs> no, I got the cheesy. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. Love there it. But, no, that no, it's good. No, he's mashing. I think that. In terms of like legit power at shortstop, that you don't even really need to project out because it's present, you see Kai Boom, and there's really not too many other guys in terms of this. I really like him in terms of the power fantasy side, too, specifically with Kai Boom. Because if they stick him at short, then the value is immensely higher than at third, where the baseline for the bat might be a little bit more aggressive. I'll jump into my number three, Ralph. Sixto Sanchez is my number three. Interesting conversation we had around him, which we could kind of roll over possibly into the top 25 a little bit later, but I'll touch on him very quickly. We have a, an interesting kind of back-to-back year trend for him where he's not really striking out too many guys. He has a K rate, I believe, in back-to-back years, both with clear water high for the Phillies, where he's under per 18% strikeout rate, which equates to right around like a 6.57K per nine. So it's not exactly what you want in terms of an arm That is elite, that we consider elite, that I think a lot of people in the industry consider elite. We know, Ralph, you were telling me Jason Woodall is super, super in on him. He's seen him a ton down in Florida. And that's, from a scouting perspective, there's a lot of buzz around him and what he could do because of the easy velo. And it's often... We see a little bit of deviation in terms of what the statistics are saying and what scouts are saying around a guy, and the scouts are absolutely enamored with what Sixto can do. But the results in the last like fifty or so innings between Clearwater, which is last year and this year, have not been encouraging for me, and I just I get a little bit concerned with that in terms of really young arms. Especially when we have them this highly touted on lists. I just get a little bit cautious. I almost find myself, if I was a fantasy owner and I had Sixto, I love Sixto, he's a centerpiece, future of your team. But in terms of like investing in him and maybe trying to trade for him, I'd be a little bit more hesitant to do that. Because if you invest in him from the start, you're believing in everything, projecting out. So I don't think there's any issue there. But if you're looking at acquiring Sixto in a league, that's where I kind of get a little bit hesitant. Because I think there's a lot of names around Sixto in terms of guys who are maybe a little bit closer in proximity to the major leagues. We kind of know a little bit more about them. We have a bit more of a sample at a higher level against better hitters, etc. Where we're able to kind of look at that in baseline. I'm thinking of guys like Kopeck, even like a Mitch Keller, who I like a little bit more than 6 Just a personal thing. I think Ralph, you have sixto higher than Keller. But I just mm-hmm. I'm a little bit concerned. I, I know you're not Ralph. I don't think you are at least but I just, I really wanted to see a jump from this guy because I think that a lot of people chalked up last year where the K rate dropped to possibly him working on pitches, et cetera. But back to back years for me is a little bit concerning. I was really hoping he'd come out this year and, and start to really show some swing and miss. And maybe at the end of the day, he's a little bit more of like an 8 8 5 K per 9 guy at his peak, which is completely fine because the command he has is unbelievable. But I just am a little bit concerned. I'm just treading lightly on him. I still really like Six of Sanchez. I'm not saying I'm knocking him at all. I just, I'm not really sure. If I had him on my top 100 list, I think what I'm going to do is I literally just freeze him where he is. I believe I had him preseason around 35 overall. I think I had him right in the top 10 of my starting pitchers. I'm going to leave him there. I don't want to touch him. As I will. Maybe we could talk a little bit about philosophy around top 25, Ralph, but for me, I really don't like bringing guys substantially down unless there's really good reason to do so. And I think one of the guys we both brought down a lot was Austin Meadows from the Pirates, the outfielder was isn't hitting a well again for like the third or fourth time now. We're not getting any power from him. And that's a reason for me to move a guy down. But I'd rather keep a guy modestly ranked and then see results and slowly kick him up. And I just when I make a list, I just like to be a little more invested in that list and really think that the decisions I made to put a guy, X guy over Y guy, I want to I want to see that through. I don't want to immediately start to switch it when a guy starts off strong. And that might even be a little bit of my hesitancy, hesitancy in ranking Soto. But we can get into that, Ralph. I don't know if you want to give your thoughts on Sixto very briefly, or if you want to sure. jump into your number three. Well, I, I think it's just, it's
0: it's important to keep in mind that, you know, he's 19 years old, we're all yeah. tripping over. And this is actually a point that uh, I want to, I want to credit to Jason and we, we agree with a lot of stuff. We, we chat about a lot of stuff. I yeah. really respect his opinion, so I'm constantly bouncing things off of him. He's in Florida and gets to get very different looks than I get to get, you know, on some lower level guys. And, you know, he's two years younger than Casey Mize and everybody's tripping over themselves right now yeah. to get That's Casey Mize. Mm-hmm. If Casey Mize comes up and pushes in like short season, New York Pennley, everyone's going to be like, Oh my God. and, this dude is two years younger, and he's in high, he's in high A. I mean, he's playing against some of these guys that are like four or five years older older than he is. You know, um, this guy is pretty much like a, a new draft arm. I mean, if we if we compare him to Mackenzie Gore, and you know, he obviously had an injury issue and blah blah blah. You know, it, it, it's tough for me not to sort of put some of that into perspective and say, this is a pitcher. And, and, you know, I think hitters are, are different. Like if, if a hitter struggles for like a long period of time at a level, what's well obviously he's not advanced enough to be at that level. And maybe six stone, maybe, you know, isn't quite there yet, but sometimes those struggles are good and it's just guys figuring things out. And I, I think at times he sort of abandons his off-speed stuff, tries to rely too much now on the fastball. And uh, it, it's sort of tough to do that when you're 19 and you're not great with sequencing and you haven't made all the mistakes that you sort of have to make to know what you have to stay away from, what you can get away from, get get away with. And there's just a lot of development there. But the raw stuff is just so good mm. that it's really small little developments can make such a big difference with a guy like that. That, you know, at this time of the year, when we're looking at all these draft guys, we're going to talk about them, I think, next week. I think it's probably a good direction for us to go uh, next couple of weeks, you know, in addition to our five by five. Sure. Is... You know, we haven't seen these guys in, you know, in the professional ranks at the professional level. They're going to get injured. Things are going to happen. They're going to have bad starts. And it's like, how do they adjust to that? And I think there's absolutely that's the period that we're going through right now at Sixto Sanchez, um, where, you know, he his his helium period was last year. He got the you know, he went from, you know, outside the top 100 to, you know, statement on on baseball perspective says top 50 and he was like 19 or something mm-hmm. like that like boom stamp you know six toes here and he looked pretty good and he was great in the Saturday league and he got promoted to uh you know Florida State you know uh, league Clearwater and he just hasn't been as good the numbers haven't been great and I was concerned a little bit then then I watched more Sixto and I, I got to I just got to see more tape of him and I just I, I just love the overall package and you know though he's only six feet tall He's sort of stout and, and and has a strong lower body that I don't worry about his durability much. And you can just see that there's the makings of a really good player. And who cares? Maybe it's going to take two or three years yeah. for him to get there, but when he gets there, it's going to be a transcendent sort of pitcher, you know, frontline guy, maybe even right from the jump. And and I think that's what everyone's sort of hoping on is that the stuff is the electric stuff. He's going to harness it, get it in the right places, and he's going to figure out you know, how to miss more bats. I guess that's the biggest concern. And I can see that from a fantasy mm-hmm. perspective. And you made the good points when we were talking about it off air. Yeah. And uh, I struggled with my decision, but I did. I still, I held strong in my rank. And that like is, it. you know, he's a long way away and he's not missing a ton of bats. So, yep. you know, he doesn't, ha- but that's why Forrest he's ahead of him, right? Because he's not yeah. as far away. Exactly. He's missing, he's missing a ton of bats.
1: Yeah. That's so. like the, the recipe for like a fantasy starter for me. And that's the biggest thing. But I, I don't want to linger on six or too much. We got a lot more no. to touch here. But patience. I will preach. Yes. I just want to preach patience with him. I think that's the biggest thing. And I think yes. the biggest thing is like, I like what you're doing in terms of you're sticking hard on that rank of him. It's like, I, I could imagine there's going to be other people who are going to see that rank, see how he's performed, and drop him like 30 spots. That's like the thing that I just don't like doing. I'd rather just have him ranked at 35, wait till I see swing and miss, and then jump him into the 20 and be like, great, here we go we have them we have a six of sanchez with an unbelievable fastball fantastic command the off speed starting to play up here you go here's your top 20 guy that's what i would do instead of already projecting it out and leaving it up there but it's just a philosophy on right. ranking but
0: who's your yeah, number no. three, Ralph? yeah and a lot of it's gut sometimes too exactly i, I can't sure. i can't say that i i'm a i'm a slave to any sort of process other than you know a lot of it is feel and it's just what do i you know what do you feel yeah, and sometimes yeah. and sometimes that's personal bias and that might be a big part of it too But I'm going to tell you who I am very tempted to go crazy with in terms of ranking in my top 100 update, if he keeps this up. And that is 19-year-old Kansas City Royals first-base prospect, Nick Prado, who was on that very exciting Lexington Legends team, I believe, as well, with uh, Sui Mateus, if I'm not mistaken. What he's done so far as a 19-year-old, first full season out of the draft last year, if you remember, he was taken pretty early in, I think, 12th or 13th overall by the Royals. Uh, if it was earlier than that, um, and I forget, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know, the numbers so far, 284, 333, 477, five homers in the season. Like I said, he's a 19-year-old in full season ball. He hasn't made m- many adjustments. I was watching a lot of his scouting video uh, from, like, Prospect Pipeline and some of the other stuff from, you know, pre-draft. He hasn't made a ton of adjustments. And I think it's because the swing itself is really pretty like even the swing that he had in, in high school. And like I said, it's almost identical from, from what I saw on, on the few videos I watched of him with the Royals, There's a lot more high school video of him actually than there is anything else. Um, very little movement, pre-swing, you know, sort of bat on the shoulder. Um, very relaxed, balanced swing, great transfer of weight, uh, especially through his hips, a uh, little toe tap, but really, really just beautifully fluid swing. um, and just a ton, a ton of bat speed as well. Really good pitch recognition. Um, I, I think this kid is. I think this kid is a really special hitter, and uh, it, it's one of the reasons that he was a first baseman. You know, a high school first baseman that was drafted as highly as he has. And I got to say, for the most part, that's actually um, a, a group of players draft wise. You don't see many of them. But they have a pretty good track record. I, I know there's one that I'm totally going to mistake or forget off the top of my head right now. But uh, Eric Hosmer was one of those guys. Josh Naylor was one of those guys, and he's kind of coming into his own. And as we've seen with Prado, he's been pretty good. And I know there's one more guy, a big one, that I'm, I'm drawing a blank on that was a, a high school first baseman that was pretty good. But, you know, thus far, uh, I think Prado definitely looks like somebody that has the tools and just natural sort of ability hitting wise. Uh, to be a very relevant fantasy player long-term. I guess the biggest thing is the development of power, but the fact that he's 19 and slugging 477 in his first taste of full season ball with five homers, that's a pretty that's pretty indicative of somebody that has some some decent raw power to begin with.
1: Absolutely. I think we've mentioned Prado, I feel, a ton. And that, that royal system, I think we also mentioned again, is is getting kind of interesting with some of those assets they have with, yeah. with Suley Matias, with Khalil Lee, who made an unbelievable catch the other day that mm. I, I actually haven't seen yet, but I heard people raving about it on Twitter. Um so I want to try to take a look at that but M- MJ, hope, Melendez. Hope that. MJ Melendez MJ
0: yeah. Melendez catching prospect really really talented guy oh, to steal for that
1: Yeah defensively I heard he's an absolute savant in terms of what he does which is like in terms of like an heir apparent to Salvi like unbelievable mm. Yeah position position
0: Excited excited now sorry I'm cutting you off go no, ahead no problem, go no ahead
1: no Uh my number 4 here I am going to jump into is Jean Duplant Duplantier Duplantier I don't know how to say I'm going to go Duplantier Duplantier. I feel like that's an extra syllable that is unneeded. Change your name, John Duplantier. But uh, but no, he's been unbelievable. He's a guy that I think a while ago I liked a lot. Um, he's a college arm, I believe who's from Rice. He was a quarterback, I think, and uh, he had some weird... There's actually um, oh, what's his name? David Loria of Fangraphs does really cool interviews with uh, a lot of the minor league guys. He's almost like their minor league reporter to some extent. And a while ago, I think when we were doing the Diamondbacks list, way back, Ralph, I talked about him and I talked about the fact that everyone's concerned on the injury side of, of things with him. Yeah. But in that article by Loria, Loria broke down with Duplantier the like exactly why he possibly had some of these shoulder issues, and he said it was because a product of like how he was throwing. Football versus baseball, and he just wasn't used to it. And there was some obviously muscle problems around that. And he got him fixed up. And he ran into a ham injury early this year, which held him down a little bit. But he started, I believe, in late April. He's made a couple starts now, four, I believe, in total. He's got a walk in each with six strikeouts or more in each. And he's been really, really stable. He's a 34% strike rate to a 5% walk rate. Unbelievable superb control with this kid. He's got swing and miss stuff. I think that he's a guy who's going to shoot up some lists in terms of what he can do. And I know that. Possibly he didn't, he's not going to get the same kind of hype because he wasn't right out of the gate an April guy where you have like a nice nine ten start sample now where you can look and go oh wow he's doing unbelievable. What you have instead is a five start sample but you just have it started a little bit later in terms of it's late April now. There's going to be a really small window here I think where Duplantier is an actual legitimate like top sixty to fifty guy before he gets jumped up into the major league level. But it's not going to be reflected on lists because he was more like a seventy five to hundred overall guy preseason and i think that's relatively kind of where i had him i think i might have maybe had him a little bit higher around the 50s but i'm a big fan of him i think that he's a guy who can make an impact this year in terms of a late september call up if they're having troubles in arizona and what they can do he's got a super high floor i expect him to not be at the level he is right now in terms of i actually forgot what level he's at i can check very quickly but um i'm a big fan uh, i just
0: he's I, uh he's in he's in double a
1: He's in double-A. So, exactly. Like, I I actually, I thought he was in double-A last year. So, he finished last year in high. He jumped two levels. So, I think there's a a small chance, I think, that he could get a look this year. If not, I think he's a legitimate guy to break camp next year in terms of maybe winning, like, a fifth starter job with the Diamondbacks. I'm not sure on what their staff's projecting out to be next year. But, I like this kid a lot. He's produced at every level. The control is unbelievable. He's missing bats. I don't really see too many things to hate. And, I just hope he doesn't run into more injuries in his career. But, it doesn't seem like there will be. So, I'm a big Duplantier fan. Nice.
0: And as I watch Aaron judge face, uh, Craig Kimbrell in the bottom of the ninth with one out, uh, I will now go into Nick Gordon and try to keep my uh, attention on the podcast. While <laughs> <laughs> this showdown goes down, but Nick Gordon, obviously brother of D Gordon, son of, uh, Tom Gordon, Flash Gordon, uh, half, Half brother friend of uh oh my God, oh it was last night's Homer. Thank God. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh friend, friend, high school teammate of Juan Hillman. I don't know if you know who that is. He's a pitching prospect in the Cleveland organization, huh? uh, who's kind of an interesting guy, lefty. But anyway, uh Nick Gordon, slashing 339, 369, 534. So he's putting the bat on the ball a lot, not walking a ton, but I'm okay with that. He's a guy. Uh, that, that he has a ton of speed, but he does have some speed. After all, he is D Gordon's younger brother. Um, has a little bit more, a lot more power than D. I think actually he's got three homers thus far. Really been killing the ball of late in Double A. In uh, five games at second base so far, twenty-five games at shortstop. I think that's the biggest question with Gordon: is where does he play? I think we will see him uh, promoted uh, pretty shortly uh, to Triple A. It, it would shock me if he's not. I mean, he's just, he's hitting way too well at uh, Chattanooga, I believe, is the uh, AA affiliate, the lookouts of, uh, of the Twins. Uh, I, I'm not looking at it right now. I don't have his fan graph phase in front of me, so I can't quite remember. I'm pretty sure. But either way, there's a lot of power here right now. He's hitting 339. He's putting the bat in the ball. And interesting guy, because I think we're always sort of looking for a potential middle infielder that can have some fantasy relevancy, Uh, that could come up maybe later on in the season. There would have to be a few injuries you know, the the, the twins are pretty stacked in terms of their middle infield. I mean, this is the second middle infielder from the Twins system that we've talked about just in our five by five. So I don't know if Gordon necessarily will be up this season, um, but there's a pretty good chance that he's up later on this year, definitely next year and uh, might be a viable bat, you know, not a superstar, but has enough of the, you know, power with a little bit of speed and good contact ability that, you know, everything might play up.
1: Absolutely. I agree with you there. Uh, my number five here is Austin Meadows, who's a guy I very briefly alluded to in terms of one that is probably tumbling down top 100 prospect list. He's repeated the year at Indianapolis, triple A of the pirates here, and his striking rate is down a little bit, but that's really the only positive that we're getting out of his start here uh, through about a month and 10 days or so as we're recording on May 10th. But, he's slashing 261, thirteen, three fifty nine, and that's the issue. This is what you're getting again and again from Meadows is really no power. I know they dropped his hands to try to induce a little bit more power. I know that's a uh, uh, a mechanical change that Long and Hagen and Fangraph didn't like too, too much. I know a lot of other people in the industry didn't like either. But it just seems to me like the more and more we meditate on Austin Meadows, the more and more we're realizing that he's probably – more of almost like a platoon outfielder. And I hate to say that because this kid was super highly touted. (laughs) He was one of the guys, I think he was drafted. He was super high on pick. He was the guy who was comboed up all the time with Clint Frazier in terms of being, I believe, from the Georgia area, high school bats. And I know it's a concern around the high school bats, and I just i am really concerned with this, with Austin Meadows. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's an organizational thing. I don't know if it's him specifically in terms of development. I don't know if he's just maybe not the caliber of player that we expected him to be. And it's just a pain because I, I think we all really liked him for a long time, and I think there's a lot of people still buying into what he can do in terms of getting the bat on the ball. It's just that we've had mediocre results over and over and over, and the Pirates have basically not given him a shot over and over and over. They're going with Corey Dickerson now. It's just it's tough. There was an injury last year, and then you want to call him up. It's just, I'm not sure what the confidence level on the Pirates is in this kid, and it's disappointing because I think he's still only like 22 or 23 years old. Let me confirm 23. I just – it's tough. I think that he's basically has to go around like 80 overall, 90 overall, if at all on prospect list top 100 because this is just over and over and over and we're just not getting results. I get that there's talent with this kid, and that's the reason that he was drafted that early. But at some point, I, either you got to trade him, you got to ship him, you got to come up and give him a shot and just see what he is because the more and more I look at him, the more and more I see a utility outfielder that almost yeah. tunes. And it's, a, it's disappointing because I hate seeing guys like this fall off, but that's where we are with Austin Meadows on my end.
0: Yeah, he's a huge follower for me, and, like, he's hitting the point that it's, like, uh, it's not even prospect fatigue. It's just, like, it's major doubt as to, like, yeah, is this guy yeah. really that exciting? How can I rank him in the top 50 anymore? I mean, I'm wondering how I can even rank him in the top 100. I mean, he's starting – for me, he's starting to drop down to, like, 120. And this is a guy that was three entering, my, uh, entering the season in 2017. Like, I, I, yeah. I thought this guy was a legitimate top five prospect, and he had shown it, you know – when he was initially promoted to AAA and was tearing up AA Altoona, uh, and he just hasn't been able to find that stroke again. Maybe it's been health, maybe it's been confidence, a combination of the two. Uh, I do hope that the kid sort of comes back and is able to uh, recover and find that. Anything anything else you wanted to add on him before we move on to my number five here? I think I'm good. Very quickly, before we jump into the top 25, because I don't want to take up too much time, we're going to talk DJ Peters uh giant another 66 guy i guess i'm going to i have uh some guys in the middle we have two middle infielders we have a a, a teenage first baseman in the middle it's the meat and uh the bread <laughs> is these giant mashing outfielders one being frame reyes the other one being dj peters who uh, hit him pretty well in double a so far 291 380, 20 uh 7 homers eight, uh, 18 RBIs with Tulsa, you know, there's a lot of swing and miss with this guy still. The one that's the one downside with Peters. Uh, we know he's got a pretty long swing, misses a lot of balls in the zone, actually. That's one of the funniest things about Peters, is he's not a big chase guy. You know, he's just missing a lot of stuff in the zone because of the way his swing is. 29.2% K rate. And I think that's part of the package. The question is, and I will pose this to you, Lance, do you think that part of DJ Peters is fixable? Is this a player? Who could make some adjustments in the swing and see some improvements over time? Maybe a la Joey Gallo, uh, who we've seen, you know, sort of improve as a hitter over the course of you know his professional career thus far.
1: I think that's an interesting thing to bring up, specifically because what we have with DJ Peters is unbelievable exit velocity talent and this is something i know we can't really confirm statistically and quantify and say oh yeah he's averaging you know top five and whatever he's 95th percentile of double a exit velocity but you see this in the perpetual babbit that sits in the high 300s and you see this in his his bat speed as a whole and i know there's some length to his swing i know there's some concern around that i'm looking at i'm gonna pull up some video right now and kind of watch him it's it's just it's a lot of fluidity it's a little bit of bat movement i i in he's terms of actual, he's a big guy, and that's another thing too. Is like it's almost like a Bradley Zimmer, where you just you almost know there's going to be coverage holes at some point in the swing. But for me, in terms of actually looking at him, I think that the power can kind of supplant any concern around the actual, um, the you know the actual concerns that are around the strikeout rate and stuff like that. But. I think that he might get eaten up a little bit as he gets into higher levels where they start to see where his holes are. But at the end of the day, what we're looking at is when he puts the bat on the ball, it goes a very long way. And he hits the ball really hard. And, like, if this is a guy, if this is an incarnation, another incarnation, like a Jacques Peterson, that maybe can play and not platoon as hard and be the strong side of a platoon as being able to not hit lefties, then this could have value. I think he could have value, and I think that he could be kind of one of those guys that's flown under the radar, maybe a little bit too long in terms of what he can do exit Velo-wise. I feel like he could be a guy who comes up and turns into what I call stat cast darlings, where he comes up and you see a couple yeah. batted balls of him, and you go, wow, yeah. And this is kind of what's happened to Franchi Cordero, but Franchi Cordero's kind of made some adjustments this year that maybe sure. kind of confirm his talent a little bit more, but... I like DJ Peters. I I don't – I think he can make adjustments. I don't know how necessary the adjustments are to have value. That's what I'll say.
0: Yeah. I I wonder what will happen. And, you know, it will be interesting to see how he ultimately, you know, plays into the Dodgers – you know, outfield picture long term, there might be some opportunity for him there
1: yeah.
0: uh, in a year or so. So he's an interesting guy to watch. And I know that there are some folks in the industry that are really high on him. He's another one of these uh, guys that the Dodgers, you know, plucked out of the first couple of rounds. Why don't we do something really, really quickly here, yeah. Lance? I, I want to give a shout out to a man that made a t-shirt of my face. <laughs> that would be Kenneth Cashman <laughs> of com and rotoware classic. You can follow them on Twitter at rotoware.com. At Rotoware Classic. He's also got at Rotorhymes. And you can follow the man, the creator, the brain. The inspiration, everything behind RotoWare. That would be Kenneth underscore Cashman. You can use our promo code when you go to, to RotoWare.com. It's SAGNOV. You can get 20% off all of your purchases there. Now, he's got a whole new line of shirts coming out under this RotoWare Classic label. They're <coughs> partnered directly through uh, Amazon. Really interesting stuff. He's got a Mauler shirt. I don't know if you guys know Motown Mahler. I've played a few leagues with him. He's in the Raz 30. A really funny, really interesting guy. Uh, and in this league that we play in, in our, our Slack chat, Kenny actually creates uh, emojis for us to sort of put onto comments, et cetera, et cetera. And we have a Mahler emoji. He's made a Mauler emoji T-shirt. It is dope. You have to go see it. It's also a Justin Mason shirt that I think is,
1: is <laughs> yeah, pretty <it's> cool. Great.
0: <laughs> he put out the, the gray uh, Tout Wars champion. Only comes in gray, of course, uh, in that shirt. And then he's got all his great designs that he put out from the baseball season. He's got the 80-grade design that I love. You know, uh, Fly the Quality start, which I know is one of Lance's favorite ones I'm looking at. He's actually got it behind him, yes, I uh, yes. you know, the crab army shirt. He's got that one going for him. Prospect stasher, the advanced metrics. There are so many shirts I could sit here and just name his shirts for the last, you know, the next 10 minutes. He's got all the series from last year. You can still order those. He's got the new stuff from this year and he's got the road wear classic stuff and he's just pumping out new shirts, new ideas all the time. He made a Domingo Santana, sh- uh, uh, excuse me, a Domingo Herman shirt after his great start with the Yankees. He's got a Domingo shirt already. He's got a James <laughs> Paxton no-no shirt. If you want to get a big maple no-no shirt, you can get one. He's got a Mitch Haniger shirt. He's got all types of stuff going there. If you're a big baseball fan, go over there, check out what he's working on because he probably has something uh, that you probably want to rock sometime during the summer.
1: Yeah, I love the stuff that he's been putting out. He's been doing it, too, like super timely in terms of like what's happening. He has a a doll rise like the pun the pun on all rise, which he actually angered Yankee fans and Rockies fans over, which is an unbelievable thing to do. And I thought I love the shirt; oh, I think it's hilarious and it's fantastic. Too. The wig is so funny. I don't it's, know why i got oh, so mad. It's, about it's that. great. It is unbelievable. But he's it's doing it. Weird. Yeah, it's just I love what he's doing in terms of the timely stuff because it's all relevant. Like yeah, he has got a couple of shirts up for that Paxton no no. I really like the one with the no no. But he's got the Maple Leafs in the O's of the N and the O. That's really yeah. cool. He's got that in a couple of colors. It's just. Man, I'm stoked. I'm stoked for – the more. I honestly just love following Kenny to see what designs he, come out with, he comes yeah. out with. And I know I'm going to pick up a few more on Amazon through this direct thing he's got going. You, you, you go to Amazon.com and type in Roto-Wear and you get a look at all these shirts. He's got like six pages of them. It's unbelievable. So, you, absolutely you, shout are you, out to Kenny.
0: Are you, are you going to buy a Prospect Jesus shirt?
1: I was thinking about it, Ralph, and I think I might <laughs> surprise it, I had to surprise you with it at like a game or something. <laughs> oh, it would be fantastic. Yes.
0: <laughs> I don't know if I can buy it. Like I You have like to, buy Yeah. It. You gotta for frame someone else. it. I don't know if I could buy it for myself. Like, can I wear? Like, that's pretty meta. You know?
1: <laughs> I think that's, it's hilarious. I think you should buy it and frame it. If if I don't if I don't I, know if I'm in the weeds right. with Kenny. Probably if right. Kenny Kenny yeah. makes a shirt of me at any point, I feel like I have to buy it and frame it. I don't even know if I'd wear it. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Nice, and I made a ton of Massachusetts jokes because they had Kelly Kelly Green and Cranberry. So I was like, you know, from the, <laughs> yeah, the box solid, of southeastern Massachusetts to. Uh, You know, the drunk girls at the uh, St. Paddy's Day Parade. You can always be outfitted in Prospect Jesus gear. So
1: (laughs) let's get into our top
0: 25. What do you say, Lance? Yes,
1: I'm ready for this. So I took my preseason list that I put out. I think you took your most recent one. And we kind of just tinkered with them a little bit and came up with top 25s. And I think for the most part, I'd say our top 10s are relatively similar. I'll run down your top 10 first, then I'll run down my top ten. There's really not too much deviation. I think if there's one deviation point that we can kind of touch on a little bit, we could maybe talk a little bit about pitcher value, which you'll notice right off the bat. But I really don't think there's a lot of deviation here. Um, Your one is, we both have the same number one, Guerrero Jr. We have the same number two in in Eloy. And then your three is Tatis. You go Tatis, Tucker, Robles, Juan Soto, Nick Senzel, Bo Bichette, Michael Kopech, and Taylor Trammell. And then I go Guerrero Jr., Eloy. Then I have Michael Kopech, three. And then I go Tatis, Robles, Tucker, Senzel, Soto, Bichette, and then Alex Reyes. So there's really the the biggest jump there is that you have Kopech nine and I have him three. And Mm. I think this is me just continuing to buy in again and again and again on Kopech based on results, based on projectability, based on what we've seen with the changeup. He's at AAA. The value is right here. It's going to be up. hopefully in two to three months, we're going to get to see him at the major league level. I think the upside is immense. I think his development has been fantastic. I really like everything about him in terms of what he could do on the swing and miss side of things. I think eventually he could get down to being a bit of an innings eater. He's a guy who isn't going to have massive concern, I think around innings limits in terms of how he stretched out. I think this is more so the complete package in terms of a pitcher you want. And I think he is, in my opinion, a little bit head over heels above everyone else on the pitching landscape. And, That has some value for me in terms of if Mm -hmm. you're ranking pure prospects and you have a guy with all this swing and miss that is that close to the major leagues that we think can project out, that's shown all these other features that I really, really like about him, there's a lot of value in that. And what we have coming now with such little ace-hood of pitchers, there's so few pitchers around there that we can – actually pegged for 180 innings with really nice strike at upside and some control and i think that kopic could slot in there i think he's one of the few on this list right now that can slot in there so that's why i have him three ralph you have him nine is that uh i don't think that's necessarily hate on him do you think it's just more of a matter of uh how you're ranking pitchers and such or is it a little bit different
0: um it's just sort of how i'm i'm ranking pitchers and i realize that on the list that you have in front of you that uh we were off by one number because I had Whitley, I have Garrett Whitley 10. Oh, I see, on the I list. see. My Which bad. is why I only had 24 in that list and it should have...
2: <laughs> uh, no, no
0: problem,
1: no problem. So, oh, so I, was, I was looking at it like, didn't I have Whitley at 10? <laughs> actually, it's funny because we were going to do a little thing where I didn't realize I might have just completely missed him in, in the list you sent me actually. So, it's probably my fault. But, uh... But I They're had Whitley. You. I think I have Whitley 13th. So we're right in that window. If we were going to do like trying to convince each other to put someone on their list, I was going to have Whitley for you because I wasn't sure why you didn't have him top 25. But it makes a lot more sense to you have him top 10. So, uh, absolutely, in terms of Whitley, though. Um, yeah. So, you have him. So, just to re- kind of recap there, you have Senzel 7, Bichette 8, Kopeck 9, Whitley 10, and then Trammell 11. So, you slot w- Whitley right in and drop everybody else down. So, a couple of pitchers in that top echelon there. But Kopech being so close to Whitley, Ralph, uh, I want some explanation on this, I think.
0: Um, I think part of it is just the fact that, you know, Whitley is as young as he is and he's just flown through the levels. You know, he had the suspension, but to be quite honest with you, I, I, I'm not really concerned with it. I don't I'm think it was either. a major no. performance enhancing thing. I think it was just a stupid kid thing and and just not thinking about the fact that you're a professional athlete and you can't just put anything into your body. Even if it's like totally harmless and you're just like doing it to drive home or whatever the heck his excuse was, I'll buy into it. You know, just for the the sake of uh, believing the kid. The stuff is so good, yeah. and the fact that he's as young as he is, and he misses even more bats than Kopech, um, and has a whole. The that's the, by the way, that's the word of the podcast today. Palethora? Yes, (laughs) of secondaries. And every time I think of it, I think of the Three Amigos little sketch, which I don't think you'll even know what the hell the Three Amigos is. A movie back from the 80s with Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, and Martin Short uh, when they go to Mexico. It's a funny movie. But anyway, I'm getting off track. (laughs) I think the thing with Whitley and Kopech to me is it's like, that's where I'm going to slap my pictures, back in the top 10. Those are the top guys. I like it. They shouldn't be any higher than that. I always feel bad because I look back years later and I'm like, I had Lucas Giolito four.
1: Oh, cool. I know that God. was one. I was I watched the start Tuesday. Actually, I did that for my picture thoughts on my the other podcast. I, I kind of do by myself, but uh, that was rough. And I actually in that podcast I kind of talked about how. He fell from grace because the biggest thing with him, and I actually looked back at some of the MLB pipeline stuff, or I don't even know if they were called MLB pipeline back then, but whatever MLB.com's ranking system was, where they kind of tossed out grades on pitches, and I think they gave his curveball a future seventy grade, they had it at present sixty, and that was so confusing for me because I was like, he doesn't even use that curveball. He's like a slider change guy, based on how as a hitter, and I just like don't get how you have a seventy, a future seventy grade pitch, a present sixty grade pitch, which implies it's above average, and you don't use it. That just blows my mind, but I'm getting off track with Giolito. No, honestly, like,
0: but I remember Giolito having the hammer curveball with a fastball. It was his curveball that was, like, his leading pitch. I don't know where it
1: went. It was what everyone talked about. Like, anyone who liked Giolito was like, fastball, curveball, the floor is unbelievable. That curveball is just stupid. And it came up, and it just, like, I remember watching his first start with the Nationals. I don't think he went too long in the game, but everyone was, like, topping the curve, and everyone could hit the curve. And I was just so confused as to how— I don't want to say we got it wrong, but someone got it wrong in terms of how that curveball got around because it's clearly not his best pitch. I, I'd i be really interested in terms of that development of that pitch and why that's fallen off in his usage. But that's just, I mean, it kind of speaks to the concern, Ralph, just around pitchers being this high on list. And I know, I know I have Kopech 3. So I, I get that you're kind of backloading and going 9-10 with them and you have a lot of legitimate hitters right in that window that absolutely, I think that I believe in as well in terms of like Tucker and Zell, Soto, et cetera. But there's just, I, I just want to, I want to plant my flag on one pitcher, potentially being the next big thing, and I, I want to do it with Kopech. And I'm gonna I'm gonna gamble on him because I just love everything I've seen.
0: I'm gonna say that we I'm gonna say that we have two. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. to say that we have two. So yeah, so I, yeah, I don't think we we vary too much. Like I like you said, Vlad Guerrero one, Aloy two on mine, uh, Tatis Junior three, uh, Tucker four. Robles five, if you had Robles up at two or three, that's fine. I actually thought about swapping Soto and Tatis myself. I have Tatis at six. I still think he's behind Robles. I can't make that move quite yet. But the fact that Soto went from like 26 in my preseason to six is a pretty significant jump. I'm not backing off of Senzel. I'm not all that concerned. Nope. You know, I think there's an overall skill set there. Uh, that, you know, across-the-board production that he's going to bring. Obviously, that he's having some of these dizzy spells again. I don't know if their vertigo is back. It, I don't know if he – has he played? I know he was shut down for a little bit over the last few days. I don't know if he's played today or yesterday. I didn't, I didn't check. check. Uh, but he hadn't before that. I know that, you know, they thought he was potentially dealing with Know, this vertigo stuff coming back which stinks but i think eventually he'll overcome that and i think the other thing you read about senzo and you hear about senzo is he has sort of all the intangibles the right attitude he's got the attitude of a winner and this is a guy that's you know a gamer and sort sort of going to bring all that together and he's got the comfort of hitting in a, a good home park that i think his power is going to play up as well uh number eight being bichette number nine kopek ten whitley Do you want to jump into, like, the the next 15 for us? Do you want to jump into, like, the next five and sort of break it down like that? What are your thoughts?
1: I think we should do the next, like, five, and then we could do kind of 15 through 25 together. But I I think there's some interesting stuff here in terms of who's going where. I have a little bit of trouble ranking Trammell, I have to say. That's one of the guys I think that I have... Off of my top 25, actually, I think I had him right in that sub window that I was considering to bring him in to the 25th slot right there. He's hitting really well. I believe he's up in high A. I think the speed's kind of gone down a little bit in terms of how much he's running. I don't know if that's just an early season thing. We saw that a little bit with Tatis, but um, make the case kind of for Trammell being above guys like Royce Lewis – being above guys like Luis Robert, um, I believe I have both of those above Trimmel. Um, I don't know if maybe it's just a projection thing with Tremel. I like his swing. I think that there's probably a little more power there than people expect, but... I think maybe it's just a matter of me perceiving him longer term and trying to figure out where the tools end up. And maybe maybe we're getting a little bit jaded in terms of everything at once now where we're just like, we see five tools, so we're like, they have to all be five tools eventually. Whereas I think maybe he ends up more being like a three-legit tool kind of guy with mm. maybe a little bit less on the speed side of things, more on the power side of things as he ensures sure. in his frame. But you have him 11, he must be buying in, I think, to everything overall.
0: Yeah, And I think the thing with him that I love is the fact that this is a guy that – In terms of his baseball development as a player, it's staggering the amount of growth that he's had since coming into pro ball, you know, whatever, a year and a half ago or whatever, you know, a couple of drafts back. This guy that was, you know, mostly a football, was a, you know, a two-sport star, Division I Georgia Tech commit as a a football guy. He had a football scholarship to Georgia Tech, I think was maybe the player of the year in Georgia for football. Uh, So, you know, he was decorated as a player wasn't fully committed to baseball until he was drafted by the Reds and ended up, you know, they they obviously got him away from that commitment and he signed. His plate approach is unbelievable for a guy with the athleticism that he has. I know that he hasn't been super successful this year in the base path, but I think we've seen so far with Khalil Lee that sometimes there's guys that are just a little more aggressive. Maybe they have a, a good collection of catchers in their league or whatever it might be. Bad jumps, and they make some adjustments. Lee's stealing a lot more this year. We've seen Trumel steal more in the past. But he's got a 15.4% walk rate, and that's not a fluke. Last year in the Midwest League, he walked 12.4% of the time. Only struck out 21.5% of the time last year. He's made an even better adjustment there up to the high A level. 17.1% of the time, he's still hitting for power. He's actually hitting for more power. He's got a 221 ISO this year. A slash line, 288, 398, 510. So he's legitimately close to a 300, 400, 500 guy right now um, with some speed in the tank. And he's only 20 years old, and he's going to be 20 years old for the entirety of the season. This is a really exciting player to me. Um, Whether he plays left field or center field because of the arm, that doesn't matter all that much to me either. I think there's enough speed here and present, and he's advanced (laughs) enough. And he gets on base enough. This guy is a leadoff hitter with power. You know, um, leadoff hitters with power are guys like Mookie Betts. There aren't many of those. And I don't think he's Mookie. Obviously, he's a very different guy than Mookie. He's 6'2", 195, <laughs> and a football player. Very, But he's a, he's a, a supremely athletic and talented kid. And he has that underlying baseline approach. That makes me go gaga. I love guys that walk, and I love guys that walk that have power and speed. If you have that combination, you're my homeboy. It's the reason I love Jaius and Rosario. I, I, I fight myself not to rank him like insanely high, and, because I know <laughs> everyone's like, okay, that's way too high, Ralph. Well, what the hell are you doing? But I mean, that—that's the thing. Is I—I I love the combination of skills here, and I love the progression that we've seen with this kid. And I, I just think, from a fantasy perspective, he plays in so many different formats because of what he does. Um, and there's different directions and so many different paths for for stardom for this guy. Uh, it's just the athleticism is off the charts and natural ability. So that's my case for for Taylor Trammell at number eleven.
1: Absolutely, no, I see that through. I think that honestly, one of the things I underestimated with him a little bit was how good the approach was and how good that's improved year over year as he's jumped levels. So I I think that you might. Maybe convince me to do a little bit of adjustment here. Um, he's interesting, mm-hmm. actually, to come to some of these other outfielders as we kind of go through this list a little bit, Ralph, where we have like Estevan Florial, we have like Joe Adele, and some other guys. Um, interesting. Just really interesting in terms of what they can actually do longer term and what we project them out to do. I think we both have them kind of in similar windows here. They're all... All these guys are legit speed guys, legit power guys. I think Adele probably shines a little more on the power side. I think Tremel is kind of an interesting blend where we saw like 40 bags last year, but that doesn't seem to be continuing. Maybe he turns into more of like a hit tool power guy. And Floreal just seems to be a blend of everything where he could possibly go like 25-25 at the Major League level if everything clicks. So these three outfielders are really interesting to me. If you had to maybe say one Ralph was a riser or a faller, where would you go on it in terms of like in the next six months or so? I think for me, it's Adele. I think that if Joe Adele puts together some of this power that we're all projecting out, because I think yeah. he's a legit hidden power in terms of whether it tiers on 70, it's subjective to the individual. But I think Adele, if he puts together some of that power, we know the athleticism's there. He can be a guy, who, for me, I think I have him... I'm 23 right now. I could jump him into top 15 easily if we give him a solid three, four months of production. Is there any guy inside your top 25 right now that you're waiting for just a little bit more production from that you could see in another four months, you shooting him into your top 15? Hmm.
0: Um, I don't know. Cause I mean, I've seen Florial as a little bit of a faller that Interesting. I okay. wanted to, I almost wanted to take Floreal out to of my top 25 and replace him with uh, Tyler O'Neill or Mackenzie Gore. Those three guys were, were really, really close for me. But I don't, I don't want to quit yet because I think, once again, there is such uh, an interesting skill set here with the power and the speed and a good organization as well and the fact that he is as young as he is that there had to be an adjustment period early on. So I don't want to completely you know, write him off. We've seen this guy Homer off of Alexiado just a few weeks ago. So there's still a lot there. I think the guy for me that can move up the most is probably Jesus Lazardo at 24, which is a huge jump to begin with. Yeah, yeah. If this guy continues to push and he dominates the double A level, like he improves over the course of the season and he touches triple A, what? <laughs> like, he has to be a top 15 prospect. All of a sudden, this guy jumps over Sixto Sanchez, you know, because he's a big lefty with all that stuff and he's missing bats and he's doing it at the double A level. I mean, there was part of me that was kind of like, maybe he should be higher than Sixto Sanchez, you know? Yeah, I think there's a case that can be made, and uh, you know, I don't, I, I wanted to kind of pump the brakes a little because I know that I'm take committed. Anybody that I write an off-season uh, sleeper post about, and everybody seems to attribute, you know, to me that like, oh yeah, you were on this guy early. I don't want to be the guy that goes totally crazy with my ranking from him because then I feel like it's it's very uh, it's very transparent that I'm trying to you know boost this guy's stock to, to make myself look smarter. But he, he didn't, he
2: didn't, he didn't
0: hurt. He was one of the first guys that I think I wrote like an off season sleeper about, you know? And, um, I think I wrote about him in like October or so, October and November. Um, and it was like a pretty long post about, you know, I broke down all of his pitches and you know, how I love the changeup and the curveball and the fastball and, 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 um, how I just think it was an absolute steal. Uh, regardless of whether Sean Doolittle is the best reliever uh, in baseball, <laughs> according to Mike Petriello of Statcast, uh, whose opinion I respect greatly, I still think they may end up winning this trade if Jesus Lazardo is the legitimate frontline starter, and it's looking more and more like he is. So, what do you think about that? I know I don't think he's in your top twenty-five. I no, think he's he not. He
1: uh, I I actually had him. I think right in that window. I had him. I believe around like sixty seventy-five in my preseason. And he, was again, was in this window of guys. I had like five or six guys that I was going to put into that 25 overall spot. And he was definitely in consideration. The one that I actually put above him that I I kind of am not really sure what to do with, that I was probably most intrigued by, just again, based on proximity, based on what I think he could do, based on the amount of bats he's been missing, is Justice Sheffield of the Yankees, who's now up with AAA. The results have been fantastic year over year. The slider we saw at the spring training is just absolutely devastating in terms of what it does to left-handed hitters. His fastball is great. He's got decent command. Really good amount of swing and miss here. I have him 21. I think I overranked him a little bit, honestly. I'd like to bring him down really? a little bit. Yeah, I know. Isn't that it? oh, wow. insane? But I just, in terms of what we're seeing production-wise, in terms of what we're seeing with his pitch mix, I don't know exactly what the impact's going to be at the major league level, but cobbing him back to like a guy like Luzardo, I see what you're saying there where Luzardo's 20, so and we've seen the production with him, and the stock is just going through the roof. But just Justin Sheffield's 21, he has basically, I don't know if you'd consider that fast slider a 70-grade pitch, but you can make the argument he's got 360-grade pitches, three above-average pitches. And I think that plays up beautifully. I think that basically, in terms of how I rank some guys on the pitching side of things, is a little bit based off proximity and results more so than maybe a little bit of projection, which is probably what I tend to do a little bit more on the hitter side of things. But I know his first start, AAA, wasn't the, the best in terms of control, and his control uh, is not yeah. the same as Lazardo. <laughs>
0: But and it was a bad day because like yeah. I, you know I was almost going to go to that game the other day and I just didn't have enough time by the time I got home from the gym, and uh, I ended up watching it on TV on the big screen. I got it hooked up here and and I watched that that Sheffield start and his control was all over the place. He made you know walk some guys. Now I don't know. It was a damp day. It rained earlier in the day. It was sort of questionable as to whether I thought they would get enough rain that it would be a rain out. It yeah. wasn't. So I I, I don't want to kill the guy for it, but I, I don't think that he necessarily um has the commands to to be Lazardo. Like I, I think sure. right now Lazardo is better than he is. That's I fair. Do. No, that's fair. Lazardo Lazardo has a three has a three ERA through three starts at double A. And he's actually out pitching. His peripherals say that he's actually out pitching his ERA. Yeah, his really his well. numbers his numbers this season are are absolutely crazy. Lizardos, like
1: <laughs> that's fair. Not, I
0: mean, like he's got he's got uh, 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 nineteen strikeouts to three walks, and he's given up one homer on the season uh, between both levels. And, and yeah, I mean, and the numbers are crazy there, but. That was just that was just just double A nineteen nineteen strikeouts the three walks. That's a eleven point four K per nine to a one point eight walk per nine. So pretty interesting stuff.
1: Yeah. I think the biggest concern possibly for me on Lazardo was just we really have broken up samples, and we really have nothing as a body of work for him. We have a lot, a lot of looks like this where he's just flashing unbelievable stuff. And, like, the, his as Fangraphs page is just unbelievable. And I think that, again, like I said, that Sheffield probably has 360-degree pitches. I think you could probably say the same thing for Lazardo. Maybe there's just a little bit more in terms of development progressing along. But I, I just wish we had, like, a nice, like, here's 90 innings of Lazardo doing what he's doing right now. And that's, I think yeah. my only knock on him, maybe that's again think, just the thing where I'm just a little bit more hesitant to buy into a guy for a small sample flash, but it's been I unbelievable. I agree.
0: Yeah. I think we're going to have that this season. As long as he is health, that's, that's the thing. Cause you have to remember how quickly he's progressed and how good he's looked as a high school arm coming off of Tommy John surgery. Like, He's, he's further along at this point coming off of Tommy John surgery than Walker Bueller was, who was a stud at Vanderbilt. Right. I mean, when you put some of like the and stuff into perspective with Lazardo, it is just, it is insane what he's doing right now.
1: I agree. I agree. He's been, he's been unbelievable. He's almost like I mean, a, he's the, the exception to like the Tommy John. He's going to be 20 extension. all year.
0: He's going to be 20 the entire season, you yeah. know, um, there's a good shot that he makes his major league debut as a 20-year-old in September.
1: That's incredible. No, I, I see what you're saying. You're making some good cases here in terms of some guys. I want to see you make another case, though, for Austin Riley, who you have 14, Ralph, who he kind of glazed over a little bit here. This is aggressive. I think I had him around 80 to 90 overall preseason. Yeah, And well, let, big jump. Say, let,
0: me, let me mention the, the rest of the top, the top yeah, 25. Yeah, sure, sure. So 11 was Taylor Trammell. Number 12 was Brandon Rodgers, but I think he's, he's staying tight. Uh, Royce Lewis at 13, if you flip I like him it. with anybody from like 7 to to 14, I'm fine with that. Staying strong on my Louis Robier, or Louis Roberts, excuse me. I got I to gotta correct myself on that one. I wanted to be Robier. Uh, at 15, I know we haven't seen him yet. He's had the hand injury, but I really do. This is a guy that I think is going to be so impressive once it all comes together. I'm buying into the scouting hype, and I'm buying into the fact that he can be a power. And speed, you know, power, speed, some hit tool. Those guys are exciting. I mean, as, as much as everyone wanted to write off Joan Moncada, he looked pretty good before the injury this year. <laughs> uh, I have Alex Reyes at 16, Sixto Sanchez at 17, 18 is Jesus Sanchez, 19 is Willie Calhoun, 20 is Francisco Mejia, 21 is Joe Adele. 22 is Jordan Alvarez. He came up a lot as well. Number 23 is Franklin Barreto. I'm buying into your case yeah, a little bit. I like it. at 24 and number 25. I have Estevan Floreal still. So reason that I have Riley there is as young as he is, I feel like he's so underrated and it's funny since his promotion to uh double a, it's funny that I remember it's off the top of my head uh on July 15th of last year he's hitting 322 since July 15th of last year 322 with all the power that he has he was one of the best players not named Ronald Lacuña uh at the Arizona Fall League he plays an excellent third base this guy was a legitimate two-way prospect coming out of high school and he's got a gun for an arm Uh, He's really worked very hard to tighten up his body. I had somebody call him fat today. And I then took a (laughs) screenshot from a recent photo of him. And I said, I'd love to be fat like that because he's not fat any longer. He's really, really trimmed up. He's a guy with a tremendous work ethic. He has natural ability anyway, just as a hitter and a ton of raw power, you know, and, and, I just like the total package. They've been aggressive with him. He's now up at Triple A Gwinnett, and I think that we're going to see him here this season. There's a bit of proximity built into this. I don't do that all that often, but I think that this guy can come up and be an impact bat, hitting a really good lineup, hitting a really good park, and sort of be one of the last pieces in that lineup for what the Braves need. And that's a very good everyday third baseman. And I think that's exactly what Austin Riley can do. You know.
1: No. I agree with you there. I think you have I like how you have like some strategically placed like aggressive ranks. I think that's one of the things I always enjoy about your lists, Ralph. It's just how you rank guys and how you rationalize it. And I like that. I like Riley of fourteen's aggressive. That's one of the highest ranks I've seen of him. But the proximity the proximity case there is interesting. I had a little bit of trouble ranking um two guys, Ralph specifically. Um Brendan McKay, I have a twenty. And this is another one where I it's just a love of mine. And I again I had some trouble with the back half of my list. My list goes um 10 was Alex Reyes, 11 was Francisco Mejia, I had Royce Lewis at 12, Forrest Whitley at 13, I had Mitch Keller at 14, one of my arms that I really, really like. I had Brendan Rogers at 15, Luis Robert at 16, Willie Cahoon 17. Floreal I had at 18, which is another one you could probably knock and kick down a little bit for how his performance has been this year. I've always had Willie Adamas, like in this 19-25 to 25 window, and I don't think I've ever moved him, so I had to keep him in here at 19. I think that just the floor on him and what he can do when he comes up is just unbelievable. He doesn't do anything but hit. Then I had McKay at 20. Justice Sheffield, who I'm probably going to move around a little bit again at 21. Hayes DeSanchez, 22. Joey Dell, 23. Keston Huria is the other one at 24 that I was really confused on how to rank. Huria and McKay were the two. I'm interested in your takes on them. I'll give mine really quickly here. McKay, I almost just want to buy into him because he's doing the two-way player thing and he's being successful on both sides of it. And this is something that I just appreciate... Him doing, and I think that it's an unbelievable testament to his skill and what he can do. He's one of the most polished, excuse me, polished college bats we've ever seen at Louisville, and he's pitching unbelievably well. He's doing everything that we expect him to do. I'm most interested to see the Rays' development with him and where exactly they push him forward in terms of his timetable, where they want him pitching, how much they want him pitching, how often they want him pitching and hitting, and whether those both kind of progress at higher levels. But the approach is good. The swing is relatively smooth from the left side. I think it's the bat path's fantastic. He's got a little bit of pop in there. I don't want to say this is the next Otani because it's not. I just – I'm really interested to see what they do with him in terms of how they develop and how long it takes. If this is another big project – I know he's a little bit older in terms of college, but – I just really like what I see. I think that the fact that he's producing on both sides of the ball is just fascinating to me. And I think that maybe is embedded in my rank a little bit. I could see where if you want to rank him lower for fantasy just because we're not sure what we're getting. So you would rank him around like 15 and just go, I don't know. But I'm ranking him at 20 because I think that at the end of the day, what we're going to get is a plus player at one of the two positions. I really think that he could be both positions. I know this is something I've stood on the pedestal of for a bit. But I'm interested in your thoughts on my K-Ralph, but I'm also interested in Hiria because Hiria – his he, he took a little bit of a step back, and this is another reason because I remember listening to a lot of podcasts last year regarding the draft and seeing him as the wild card because he had a really weird arm problem where he like basically couldn't throw, and no one really knew what to do with him. Everyone knew he had one of the most polished hit tools in the draft, but I think he was out of UC Irvine, but it just didn't really manifest. I think everyone kind of bought into it to some extent, but faded it in other ways because they weren't really sure where he'd fit into the field. They were a little bit concerned with that, but... I I think that what we have deep down is just a fantastic hit tool. And I don't think that's changed at all. That's the biggest thing. It's like if you buy into a guy for a reason and there's nothing to go extremely contrary to that reason, I don't really see much reason to adjust him. That's another reason why I think I probably would have like Mackenzie Gore around 25. It's just like, I get that he's had a really weird start, he's had some injury stuff, whatever, but at the end of the day, we have one of the most athletic pitchers in baseball with a delivery that is just out of this world athletic in terms of what he can do with his body, how well he drives his lower half, and oh, I just, I enjoy him so much, and the fact that he has four pitches that I think all end up, at his age, can all end up already at plus pitches, it's just unbelievable, and I really, really like that about him, and nothing's really changed about that, I haven't really had much affirmation around it, really haven't had much kind of in the opposite direction we kind of just don't have a sample from gore but with heria it's a little more interesting where he hasn't played as well as i think everyone hoped he would to start this year where he's kind of the batting average is down a little bit the walks are down a little bit the strikeouts are kind of right around the same but what we have is still a fantastic hit tool and i think especially on the fantasy side of things like that's not going anywhere like this kid is going to hit around 280 plus at the major league level i think and that is fantastic so ralph mckay and heria here before we kind of close things out what are your thoughts
0: yeah, no, I like McKay a lot, and I'm going to propose a trade to try to get, it at, get rid of Adam Eaton to Brett Sayre for <laughs> McKay <laughs> that it. I should have taken weeks ago before there were more uh, rumors about bad ankle stuff with Eaton. Yeah. But we'll see if maybe he still buys into it as a, a long-term a guy that can maybe help him like a uh, long, you know, short, short, long-term or something like that. We'll see. But no, I like McKay a lot. And I think the one knock with him is that he's obviously doing it in the Midwest league, sure, which sure. is a low a affiliate. And he's such an advanced college player that we kind of expected him to have a success here. But that being said, it's not like Corey Ray, who is an advanced college player came off the gate and was great as a hitter. And McKay has been solid as a hitter. He's been even better as a pitcher. Um, personally, I think that's, I'm more excited. About him as an arm than I am as a hitter, but I love the fact that he's doing the two-way thing. The other side of the Midwest thing, because I think it's sort of some good, some bad. Is it's a really tough place to play, and this is something that's been confirmed by you know Badler said it when I talked to him, and I asked him, you know, what's the toughest minor league part you know uh, uh, league to hit in, uh, and and it was the same thing from like Jim Callis that. The Midwest League, especially the first two months of the season in the Midwest League, is incredibly treacherous because of some of the the elements that you have to deal with in terms of temperature and everything else. And he's handled it incredibly well. And I just do think that he is ready for that next level. Now, he may be one of those prospects that we don't really see him get tested until he hits double-A. We're seeing that now with Brent Rooker, who's a guy top 100-wise. I think everybody that bought into him, like I did, is sort of questioning was that the right call or not? I mean, what should we have been a little bit more hesitant to rank Rooker in the top 100, uh, knowing that some of these advanced college bats typically do kill the ball in in a ball. And then we really don't get a good idea as to, you know, how good they are until we get to double A. Now uh, conversely, on the other side is the guy that I like a lot in Keston and invested very heavily in first year player drafts and dynasty startups this off season. And, yeah, it has not been all that exciting. I think, you know, he had a homer the other night, if I'm not mistaken. But the numbers have not been what we wanted them to be. You know, We expected this guy to be an incredibly fast mover and be one of the best hitters in the minor leagues. And all we could talk about, it was rave about how good the hit tool was, like a a, a college-developed American, Louis Urius or something, like along those lines. Or we, we just were like, this guy's a batting title, you know, waiting to happen kind of a player. And we just haven't gotten that. Um, but once again, it's so early. Yeah. Like it's and so early right too. now that – we get we get a, a good two months. I think I don't know if I said this to you or Gray today, but like guys can suck for April and May, and then kill it in June, July, and then come the middle of August, we forget the bad April, May even happen because the June and July was so good that it's changed everyone's perspective. It happened with Tatis last year. The only thing it shows up in is the batting average in the OBP, but in the big scheme of things, in terms of development and production. You know, what's the difference between 270 and 290, really, if the guy learns a lot by having to make some adjustments?
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think that's another reason why I like digging into the reasons behind adjustments and how those work. You know, we saw that with Kingery and the power jump he had, and that was rationalized by his approach change. Like, stuff like that, I think, is really, really, really important. And that's, like, honestly, a lot of the digging. Like, if I'm ever confident in a rank, really confident in a prospect rank or a jump up, it's because I see something around that. And that's why I kind of I hesitate in certain scenarios where I start to see the stats, and I'm like, well, let's see. Let's look at this as a whole. Like, is it, is it an adjustment thing? Was it just maybe, as you're saying, like, is he just in a bad league? Is it down because of that? Or is he actually struggling with, you know pitches up and in, or you're having a real hard time recognizing sliders off the plate or something like that and it's just a lot of things there's a lot of things to consider when ranking, when ranking prospects and i think it's another thing you're talking about rookie here and and here it's just how quickly stock could change around guys that's a huge thing just because there's a lot of things that go on and i i think that to some extent i was talking a little bit earlier about how you know we'd be a little bit more cautious in terms of what goes on and how you're ranking guys etc but at the same time like If there's guys that we're relying on really small samples with and we're ranking them high because of the small samples and a little bit of scouting and they don't do as well, then maybe you'd be a little bit more lenient in terms of bringing them down lists and such. So There's a lot of things to consider in terms of ranking prospects. I think it's one of the hardest things to do. I know you labor over your list. I always look at my list for... (laughs) <laughs> three times the amount of time that i lot you know it's just like unbelievable but i
0: already think i'm dropping Floriel out of the top 25
1: really no, I, mean, I feel yeah. like i'm dropping sheffield out i'm probably bringing other guys in lazaro's gonna be close like it's I'm just... probably gonna,
0: i'll probably throw this up on twitter for the for the people love <laughs> it. make them a little bit happy everyone yeah, loves yeah. a good list
1: love it love it love it ralph yeah. is there anything else you have to say here
0: let's wrap this up man I'm wrap about to up. fall asleep on air you <laughs> know where to find me, you know where to find me on social media. I am at prospect Jesus. As always, you can find my writing on rasball, rasball.com. Uh, I have my Sunday post with the minor league update. I really am going to try to finish my minor league previews. I have five teams left. I'm just going to bang them out and get them done. I've already worked on the Giants one a little bit. They're just going to pop up. And it might pop up in like a string of like three posts in like three days and like two posts in a couple more days. But I will finish it out this year. I promise. Gray insists that I get it done. I will get it done. I promise. Just got caught up in some other stuff. and wanted to make sure I could give you guys some uh, some good updates with these minor league updates because they're my favorite postal, right? And you got to know what's going on and how these guys are progressing. And, you know, I, I can't just focus on one team. Uh, when there's so many other players from so many different organizations I've probably already covered that are making big jumps, but I promise you I'm going to get through those. Uh, did a baseball show last night. We did a live baseball show last night with Andy Singleton and the Crabs. It was just a lot of fun. We got a decent amount of views on it. Uh, we did like a 15 minute like pregame thing where it was just pretty much me watching the Celtics game while Andy <laughs> said it, like <laughs> just like got got the got the Crabs ready to go. Uh, I did a little a little spiel on vladimir guerrero jr that turned to like a 10 minute segment that we put out there uh that was kind of interesting but I, i'm gonna be doing a lot of this live streaming stuff I, I like doing it i'm probably gonna do one in the next uh few days or week what well, was gonna do it last weekend where i just got, got on and talked about like some of my early MLB draft ranks and i've been digging into those as well yeah and i think next week we should probably do a draft show i'm excited for the drafts. i want to talk about it and then I, I figure we'll get some of the stuff out there. And then we can sort of talk about some of the adjustments and value leading up to the draft if you learn a little bit more about what these teams are going to do yeah. and where these guys end up getting drafted. Because, uh, you know, there's nothing like a pitcher getting drafted by, by the Rockies to really tank your value. <laughs> <Just ask laughs> right <Roddy Pint>.
1: <laughs> oh, Ralph. I'm ready. I'm ready for Ralph. Let's do draft next week. Check out all your Perfect. stuff, Prospect Jesus, at Prospect Jesus on Twitter. I'm at Lance Brosno on Twitter. Check out my other podcast, Two Strike Approach. That's on SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, a bunch of stuff. Big3sports.com. Raswell, I'm writing a com a- a- every Monday. i been doing a lot of stuff kind of just around spin rates and some interesting kind of stats and how they apply to fantasy, which mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed it's doing. Great so, stuff. Everyone check that stuff out, Raswell.com, as always. Anything else you got to say, Ralph, I'm good to go. Later. See ya.